Uh, this morning, I, I want to conclude a series talking about something that is a little bit different than what I've been talking. We've been doing a series called Love Covers an Offense. And I hope that if you take away nothing else and remember nothing else from this series, uh, you remember that um, it, it is not like some sort of honor to be offended at all the right things. Like it's not some prize at the end if you win an award, because it feels like in our world that it seems like everybody's trying to be offended. And it's like, if that's like a badge of honor, if you're offended by all the right things, then like you get some sort of prize. But scripture teaches love covers an offense. And to be in the community, it takes us like really focusing on that, to be a space where we practice forgiveness and, and love and, and generosity, or we bump up against people and, and sometimes rub people the wrong way, and sometimes we rub others uh, the wrong way, but God continues to love us, as Sonia said so eloquently uh, this morning, and then we need to live out that love as well. So maybe there's someone who you were offended by. I know the holidays are coming up, so maybe you get a chance to practice this in real time at Thanksgiving because there's been somebody who perhaps has has offended you and you're going to sit across the table from that person. What does it look like for you to choose to say, yeah, this did offend me or this, this was hard, but I am going to let love cover over that. So that's been a challenge throughout this series, but I want to take a little bit of, of a different angle on it this morning because there's times in, in all of our lives, um, if you've been at this long enough, where I think you get offended or you don't understand what God is doing in your life. Perhaps there's something that's been really difficult. You get, you get a diagnosis. You're, you're going through a divorce. There's just, just something has happened, and you have more questions than answers. God, why, why did this happen? Why did this person let me down? Why am I experiencing this? God, what, what is going on? Why is this happening? And that's one reason why I, I love Scripture, because you see men and women of faith struggling with the exact same questions, Sometimes with harder stuff than you or I are dealing with in a given moment. I think of Job, who is called blameless. And in this very strange bet that theologically, honestly, I struggle to deal with, Satan's like, hey, God, like if I took away all his stuff, I bet he wouldn't still worship you. And it's a super weird understanding of evil in the world that I don't really have time to get into today. And I don't really I fully feel comfortable with it at times. But, but Job is like, here's the perfect guy. Well, let's take all his stuff away and see what happens. And Job has a very long book and God eventually comes to Job after Job is asked, like, God, why did this happen to me? And God's answer really isn't all that satisfying. God's just like, well, do you know when the goats give birth? And Job's like, wait, what? But he ends up silent. Basically, he's inviting Job to think that there's more going on in the rest of it. There's so much that I'm in control of that you don't understand. And I don't necessarily think that Job receives comfort, but he ends up thinking much larger than just some of the problems that he's dealt with that are very real. I think of a young woman who we will celebrate in just a few weeks, Mary, who gets this news, you're going to have a baby, which is really good news if like you've planned for it and it's like the, the way you're supposed to do it. But it's not such good news when you're like set up to be married to somebody and like, how's that going to go? That's a really awkward conversation. 
Now, why does God choose to do it this way? I don't know, but it's, it's complex and, and it's hard. And the passage actually tells us that, that Joseph, he just prepares to divorce her quietly. That's the kind thing for him to do. It's a complicated situation. God, why did you do it like that? Or I think of Paul, who writes about this thorn in his flesh, and we don't know what it was that he struggled with, which I think is, is helpful because there's going to be thorns in all of our flesh. There's going to be things that we have to deal with that we struggle with. And Paul says, basically, three times I pleaded with you to take this away from me, and I, I, I don't understand. Like, why don't you just take it away? It would help me minister better. And most of us are probably here in this church today because of the work of Paul. And Paul spread the gospel, did so much for for the work of Christ in the world. He he moved it all over the world. And he says, "I, I could do that more effectively if you would just take this away from me. And the... Finally, you get this understanding that on the third time when Paul is just like begging for an answer, the answer he gets is, my grace is sufficient for you, which isn't all that great of an answer. And I imagine like, if my kids are asking me for something, I'm currently, uh, pray for us because uh, the Carter's really wanting a pet bird again. And we're trying our best to, to hold strong. But almost every day, there's a 30-minute to hour-long speech about a pet bird. And uh, we might have to give in at some point. But if after all those conversations, if the answer was just, you know, my grace is sufficient for you, you know, my, my love is good for you, Carter, he'd be like, that, that doesn't work. I'll talk to you tomorrow, right? Just say, like, that isn't really that sad. And this is Paul. This is a spiritual superhero, I think of John the Baptist, one more, who is, just does all the right things. He, he like, is getting all the, this fame and glory and, and attention, and he's baptizing people. He's giving this, this new message. John the Baptist opens Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of the gospel. I mean, he, he's like incredible. And I mean, one of the things that he says that always sticks with me is he says about Jesus, like, he must become greater, I must become less. I've seen people ruined by just like a little bit of fame, just like a little taste of glory. And John the Baptist, he has all these people coming out to him, and he continues to say, he must become greater, I must become less. If you think I'm special, like, let me just tell you, the one that's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. You might think that I have a pretty good understanding of what God's doing in the world, and there's all these people coming out to see me, but like, you just don't even know. And then John, later in his life, after doing all that so well, he ends up speaking out against an illegitimate marriage of of King Herod. And King Herod does does not like him and, and puts him in prison. And he finds himself in this moment asking the kinds of questions that we would do in those moments. What's happening? And I think this is especially true for those of us who've been at this, this faith thing for a while. Like when suddenly like the bottom drops out in our lives and we're like, wait, hold on. I mean, God, I, I volunteered at VBS back in the day. Like what happened? What? Like I, I've been there. And I loved what Sonia said about it just being this free gift offering. It's nothing that, that we deserve. And those of us who've been at it for a while, we, possi- we possibly need to remember that more than anyone else, that it is about us like receiving it and then also welcoming others into God's kingdom 
as well. But John, just like us, as he is in this moment of difficulty, as he doesn't know what's going to happen with his life, and unfortunately, the story doesn't end well. It ends with him being beheaded. But as he is in prison, he's struggling and asking uh, this question. And so Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6 says this, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. So basically, like, I'm I'm hearing that there's some other great stuff going on. Um, So what about me? Are you the one who's to come? Or should we expect someone else? I'm hearing about all this stuff. Come help me. And then Jesus replies on that next slide for me. Go and go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And good news is being proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. It's interesting Jesus' strategy is, let me tell you about all the other things about what I'm doing for everybody else. It's very specific. It's a long list. It's not just like, hey, I'm doing some good stuff in the world. Let me be specific. Here's some things that, that are happening. And he invites John to lift his eyes as well as he can outside of his prison cell. And for John, this just doesn't, it's not going to make sense. As, as a reader of scripture, it doesn't make sense. Very similar to the thorn in Paul's side that you think if you could just release that from him, it seems like he could be more effective in ministry. Isn't it better, logically, that John the Baptist would be alive rather than dead? Alive, right? I mean, that, that's what you think the answer would be. And you totally get why he is struggling in this moment. But Jesus invites him to, to lift his eyes out of this moment and to look around. And to see how that, it, it's hard right now for you. But that doesn't mean that I'm not at work. And sometimes it takes you ministering among people. Sometimes it takes you looking around to see what God's doing. There's a man named uh, Richard Beck, who's a a professor at ACU, the school that I went to, and he did a a recent sermon that a friend sent to me, and I, I was so moved by what he had to say. He shared about how he had come to a point where his faith was a little bit more academic, like he just had it up in his head, and it was a more academic type thing. And because of that, in some ways, he, he was losing his faith, and he was struggling with, with some questions uh, that he had had, and he had all of these thoughts and, and these things that he wondered um, about God. And then he decided that he was going to start volunteering at a prison. And he said that completely changed his life, because every Monday night, he sat among these, these men. It was a group of men that he would minister to. And he said it was in that moment that his, his faith became more alive than ever. And I would highly recommend, I have some books uh, that, that he's written that, about that process. And I would highly recommend reading it for anybody who uh, perhaps can, we can all get to a place where we can think it more than actually like experience it. And he said, that it was in the, those conversations that he started to believe in like the devil and, and God's work in the world because like as he was around a, a group of prisoners, as they were sharing their stories, like 
as you sit in that sort of space, he said, that's a space where you see like evil unleashed, where you see what happens, perhaps corruption in people's lives and systemic uh, injustice, and then what it's like to to actually be in, in that space. So sometimes we do need to get a little bit outside of ourselves to think about God's work in the world. But I love what Jesus sends back to John the Baptist outside of here's the list of all this stuff that's happening. Blessed are you when you don't stumble on account of me. Blessed are you when when you aren't offended perhaps or, or give up your faith because you would say like, this doesn't make sense. God, why did this happen? Why am I experiencing this? It doesn't make sense to me that there is a God who who loves me and and knows my name and and cares for me, and this is happening. And I've seen this among people, that they they experience something that's really hard, and and it is hard. And in those moments, I think Jesus would, like, lean into your life and tell you the same thing. Blessed are you. When you don't say, there's no way there could be a God if this happened. Because it's easy for us in those moments to struggle. It's easy for us to have more questions than answers and to just say, I I just don't know. Again, this is a pattern throughout Scripture that the the men and women of God, they, they ask hard questions of God. At times, we can become a little bit too churchy in how we think about things and not ask those hard questions when in our hearts, like we really have those things. I love how Philip Yancey says this. He says, a disappointment with God is better than disappointment without God. Sometimes there's things that we're wondering, things that are on our hearts, but we just don't necessarily want to actually reveal where our heart is, perhaps in in community or even in prayer, uh, just to God. But bringing our disappointments is, is a part of faith. Asking those hard questions, it's a part of walking in faith and in life with God. I think of Psalm 119 that says it this way, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. I love how it says that the, 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 all your words uh, are true. The translation that I had said, the sum of your word uh, is truth. And I think this is a way to understand our lives, that the sum of our lives is the truth of God, that there are going to be moments that, that, that are hard, that are a struggle for us. But if you're willing to take the, the long approach and think about the graces that that God has given you along the way, the ways that you have seen God revealed in powerful ways to you. It's in those things that we need to remember and cling to and and reflect on for those times when things get incredibly difficult. And this is why community is so important. Being involved in a community uh, is so important because at any given moment in our church, there is someone who is mourning and there's someone who is celebrating. At any given moment, there's something significant that has happened in somebody's life, and we're, we're celebrating with them, and, and, and we're cheering them on, but then we're also, like, praying for somebody. We also have something that, that is heavy on our hearts as we are, are praying for them and lifting them up to God. And so when our time comes, when we need a moment to be celebrated in community, great, we get a chance to do that. But also when our time comes, when things are hard, 
We get a chance to experience the very presence of God with each other. In those moments when we are, are tempted to, to stumble because it, it, just it just doesn't make sense. You know, God, why, why did this happen? As I think about pain and, and the mystery of it, the closest that scripture comes to like answering that problem, though there isn't like an actual answer, but the closest that the scriptures come is there, there's a man born blind in, in John 9 and the people come and say, who sinned? Was it his parents? Because he's born blind or is it him? And Jesus refuses to answer the question because there is no sufficient answer for like really painful things that you've experienced. There isn't like, well, you know, this person died so that this could happen. There are good things that come from those types of things, but there isn't like a, a satisfactory answer. It's not like the book of Job. He loses all his kids and he gains more. Like that math doesn't work. Like as far as like, it's, it's just, it's, it's different. So Jesus isn't going to enter into that conversation because he knows that there's just not going to be a satisfactory answer. But the closest I believe that scripture reveals to talking about pain is this isn't about like God like sending this into the world, but God's glory can be revealed even through this. God's glory can be revealed even through hard times. God's glory can be revealed through us being, being vulnerable together. The greatest answer that the scriptures give for the problem of pain is that God suffers with us. God enters in and says, this doesn't make sense, but I'm going to endure it too. So this may be a message that you can tuck away and think about later when you are experiencing your own moment or maybe you're experiencing some really hard times right now. But may you remember that, that simple line, blessed are you. And this is said to John, who is very much struggling and, and trying to, to hold on to, to his faith in a very difficult circumstance. Blessed are you when you don't stumble on account of me. And again, this is why it's so powerful to be in community and to, to know the stories of people in, in our church community. I've invited Nicole to come and share uh, a testimony. So Nicole, if you want to start uh, coming down. She and I actually, right before the world ended in COVID, I, we, we had some bagels together at a place uh, near her home. And I think it was like February, 2020. And I remember thinking, I cannot wait for Nicole to, to share her story with, with our church because it's just, it's so powerful. And again, I remember having that feeling and then the world shut down. So it's always been kind of on the back of, of my mind. But as I was preparing this message, I couldn't help but, but think of you and, and your story and what you have to share. So go ahead and share with our family a bit of your testimony. Thank you so much. And I'm glad that you remembered that bagel. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Um, I get to meet people. And just as you imagine meeting somebody new, you're just a person who's lived a life like anybody else. You know, you were a kid, you had parents, you went to school, you got a job, 
etc. But now, um, I meet people, and there's this chair that's obvious. And they know I wasn't always in a chair. So it's not about, you know, who you were, you grew up the same, uh, you had two parents, you went to school, you got a job. Yeah, but it goes right to what happened. <laughs> and I did speaking engagements after what had happened, and I've talked about it. And what's amazing to me, and this is where I see God, is him reflected in the eyes of people looking back at me as I tell my story. So it's very healing. I was um, 34, and yeah, I went to school, and then I went to school, and I never really went out of school. I was one of those college students that taking their classes and didn't really know exactly what they wanted to be. <laughs> having a job and still going to school. And so um, I had a job, and I was working full-time, and I was doing uh, part-time school. And I wanted to go to CSUN. I wanted to go full-time because now I realized what I wanted to do. And I'm going to go full-time. I'm just going to have a little bit of work. And I loved to play pool on the side. That was my hobby, playing pool, locally, in a tournament. And one day, I'm playing pool, and I go to, with a, a teammate, like we often do, practice some pool afterwards. Yeah, I'm not doing anything afterwards, so yeah, I'll go. Well, I remember it was about late October, World Series was on the screen as we got something to eat and talking about where we were going to go to um, practice pool, someplace that I hadn't been to before. And then two and a half weeks later, I wake up in the hospital. Now, to me, that was my experience. Um, however, like in a dream, like when you're asleep, when you go to bed and you wake up in the morning, kind of like that, and you're aware of some dreams, and they kind of come to you, and you go, oh, yeah, I remember something about that dream, but you only get bits and pieces. So I knew something bad had happened. And it turned out, as it was explained to me, that there was an assault. I went with my teammate. He drove. We go to a place, we go in the back door, I have to use the restroom. So I go in the women's room, he goes in the men's room, and then I'm told that he had waited for me to come out of the women's room. He was already in the place at a table waiting for me, and he decided to come look for me. He had somebody go into the women's room and I wasn't there. Well, how can that be? Maybe she went outside. So he goes outside. Can't find me anywhere. I'm nowhere. He's asking around. It's a real head scratcher. So 
what do you do? I don't know how, what you do with that, right? He um, was there for a couple of hours, and this waitress who was taking some trash out found me outside on the ground near a dumpster. And from there, they had police and the ambulance, and they'd taken me to the hospital. And I had gone through some surgeries before I even woke up. I knew I couldn't feel the lower half of my body. And I could hear this sound. I couldn't figure out what this sound was. It was like a, well, it was an air tube. <laughs> air tube helping me breathe because of all the damage that was happened, that had happened in my body. The uh, broken ribs punctured the lungs, so I needed a little help with the, the breathing part. And found out that my lower back was broken, and I had broken my neck. Now, they weren't sure if I was going to be a quad until they got through the surgery. So, thank God, thank God, that it wasn't as serious. Now, here's the thing. When I woke up and I saw family and friends, is that just opening my eyes was an amazement to them. And here I'm seeing God through their eyes, right? They're, they're smiling and they're crying at the same time. I go, I, this is kind of confusing, but I'm just so happy to see you. And, you know, they've got medications going through me, so I'm a little on the happy side. <laughs> I go, oh, 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 I'm happy to see you too. Yet I couldn't talk because I had this thing in me helping me to breathe. And that was hard. Hard for me to not talk, but my brother thought it was great. <laughs> uh, until they got that out. Mm. But um, my parents were always there. And this is one of the ways I like to think about God is that they've always loved me. No matter what I got myself into or how, you know, as a, as a kid you get into things, you're mischievous, you're good, you're mischievous, you're good. <laughs> and even through as you get older and you get into things and you feel really bad about it, they're still there. They still love you. And they tell you no matter what you do, they're going to love you. Now, I remember being a kid and uh, going to church and figuring out what that meant to me, what God meant to me. And as my mother would have me practice saying prayers, one time she got sick. She had a cold. And I talked to God, and I, had a, I remember the real sincere prayer that I had with him. And I said, God, she's just feeling awful, and I hate to see her like this. So please make her feel better. Somewhere deep inside, I was feeling, how does this work? I really want to see how this works. And uh, the next day, she was feeling better. I mean, she was amazingly better. And I knew it was him. I said, oh, thank you so much. I remember the peace that washes over me 
throughout the years that whenever I prayed <laughs> and things got better, it's not that nothing bad is ever going to happen. Bad things do happen. But it's the faith and the knowing that get you through it. And that's where it got me through to the tube coming out, to the IV coming out, to the physical therapist coming in, to me seeing the little bit of movement, to me starting to talk, and my brother getting, oh, not so happy. <laughs> and to seeing my parents being so grateful, to me being grateful for all the friends and the family that I had there with me, to getting back to school. Not so great that I had to go back to part-time again, because that four years was just gone. <laughs> it took me seven. <laughs> but I think, you know, um, it's all that was given in my experience even the physical therapy. It wasn't so much me, yeah, doing the work, but there being there, people being there for me. So now it goes from family to therapists, to friends, to the support, and the love. Back again with the love. So When stuff like that happens, and I know it did happen to me, I begin to wonder, what did I do wrong? Well, I can think of better ways of maybe of avoiding it, but I knew, just like my parents, I would always have the love. So I always did good. Now, four years later, this story is still moving on, and you would think that that's it, that's the big one, right? Because you see the chair, that's the story. Four years after that, and I'm working really hard at getting back to walking again, and I'm doing pretty good, and I'm getting up in my leg braces, and I've got this walker, and I'm doing it every day, and I'm making this progress, and I'm going to school, and I tell you what, I, I was so charged with all the things, all the great things that were happening in my life that I even did a study abroad and I went to Australia. I'm going, I'm really going to test my ability to be independent in a chair. I mean, you got wheels, you can go anywhere. The rest is just details. So I go to Australia and I'm studying and it's amazing. I'm having a great life. And towards the end of it, I start to get sick. And I was sick and had pain and the pain made me sick, and I curled up into a fetal position. And I'm thinking, I'll get past this, whatever this bug is. But after a couple of days, I knew something was really wrong, and I went into the hospital in Australia. And it turned out, I said, oh, we've got, you've got a cyst. And it took me two weeks before I got over the sickness, but there's still some pain. And they said, well, you got a cyst, and it's leaking some fluid. So we're thinking it's a, like a, a fibroid. But we know that you're going to go back to the States, so just have it checked out. But you're pulling through, and so far you're okay. I'm like, all right. I'm feeling uneasy because they're telling me it was really, really big. I didn't like that. 
So I come back, and I go to a doctor, and after some testing, it was ovarian cancer. And it was in a third stage of five stages. So it was the beginning of the advanced stage. And I'm like, God, why? Why is this happening? And as soon as I ask that, I start to feel, well, did I do too much? To this day, you know, hindsight is 2020, and there wasn't a lot of history of cancer in my family. My gut feeling is that it had a lot to do with how much I pushed myself and this kind of stress that my body was already under. And I can be determined to a point where I push myself pretty hard. And I learned, I knew that had something to do with it. But there took some time to kind of get past the feeling that I did this to myself that I had a part in it. And to look beyond that into the little miracles of the people around me. And again, the people that were smiling and crying at my face once again. And as I did speaking engagements, how the people would say, you're amazing. That's amazing. And look, you just keep going. <laughs> I go, well, yeah. I don't know what else to do with my day. The sun comes up, I gotta have coffee, I have breakfast, I gotta go do something. <laughs> but there was quite a few years, even after getting past the cancer. Now it took 12 cycles of chemo and uh, two major surgeries and three smaller ones for the tubes they put in. But uh, it was the years of getting through the chemo that was really, really, I'm talking, no energy on a typical day. It was going to get a shower for that day, and I had a caregiver with me all day long, every day, helping, bringing food to my bed and help me up to get a shower and come back to bed, and I was like, that was all I could do in a day. And I went, wow, how do I get myself out of this? This is like the bottom. And I, I admit I was depressed for a while. But I'd go and do speak engagements. I'd see faces. I'd see family. I'd see friends. And I didn't see them very often because I was home a lot. But when I did see them, God, was I grateful. That word, grateful, is the beginning of all joy. It's like a seed, and it just grows and grows and grows. I had bird feeders outside my bedroom window that I used to just look at and watch the birds come and go. They're still there. Never really appreciated the birds as much as I do today, just to see them come to me and watch. And it was as if I had company. Now, it took about seven years, and part of that time, yeah, I was depressed. But I think in that depression, I, I let go. I let go of what I thought what I was supposed to be doing, fighting to do stuff, and feeling like it was a fight, a struggle, a hardship, and too hard. But I realized what letting go really was. 
and it was just embracing what is and seeing the joy and having the gratitude in all the moments. Yeah, I was always a gym rat when I was a teenager. And I started off my career around 18 doing aerobics and became a fitness trainer. And wouldn't you think I knew what my career was going to be? Why did I go to school all those years and not know what I was going to be? I was doing it all along. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, uh, I realized... There's more to life than just trying to figure out what you want to be. And in those moments of joy and, and struggle and um, having a caregiver and going to work out and... Well, that workout that I believed in so much, it only took me so far. I couldn't get all my energy back. I couldn't figure it out. And I began to wonder, is this when my life was going, always going to be? And then my caregiver, who was actually from Thailand, she grew up there. She was Buddhist. She had these different ways. But she loved listening to me talk about God and talk about Jesus. And uh, she said, why don't we go over to this temple? And there's this, they do Qigong, which is the foundation of Tai Chi. And, you know, it's exercise. I go, okay. So I go. And I practice. And I went, oh, okay, I've had Tai Chi. And now this is Qigong. This is easier. And so I practiced it. And that was one Sunday. And I came back two more Sundays. And the weird thing happened. All my energy came back. I'm, it's, I'm still flabbergasted by it. Three weeks. And the rest of my energy came back right away. Seven years. And I get a green light. I'm not even sure I even was <laughs> seeing a green light. It was so shocking. But just as shocking as something bad this was shocking as something great. I'm like, well, is this real? <laughs> well, what? okay, well, I know what to do. And I started to plan. So that was 2014. And medications that I was on to help me stay isolated and in bed and in a room for a lot of the time. Slowly taking that away. That took about two, two and a half years. Got all, all off of that. It was wonderful. Mind was clear as a bell after that, and that, here comes all the gratitude, right? The little joys, the little things that you take for granted. And I got it back. Got my energy back. My mind was clear. My energy was up. I started becoming more independent in the home. And I didn't need my caregiver as much, though I needed her as a sister she became to me, as the friend she still is today. And it was hard for her not to help me, but I'd tell her, you know, just stay there. Watch me transfer. Oh, 
don't help. <laughs> and uh, she was amazed. And so today I have a caregiver part-time still to help me out with the stuff. You know, because a lot of years you spend down, you spend a lot of years getting back. And, and uh, you know, the whole time that I went through spinal cord injury and, uh, and then the cancer, I was still in college. I didn't know what else to do with myself. If I was going to be home and if I was going to go someplace, I was going to go to college. I'm going to finish my degree, do my studies. Eventually I'd graduate and figure out after that what I'm going to do. And I did, but I graduated, and I was still on that slump. So that was 2009, and 2014 is when I got all the energy back. So I did some speaking engagements. I did kind of like a little bit of whatever I could do. And now with all that energy back, I decided, well, I get off the medication. Um, I get more independent in the home. Well, if I'm going to have a full life... And, you know, after spinal cord injury, my brother took me in, and here it is almost 20 years later, and I'm still there. And that's the same one who was disappointed when I started talking again. <laughs> but I know he loves me. And I told him, and he had said, now when you get better and you're well enough, you can just move right on out. I know he meant that. <laughs> And I still bring it up every once in a while. I say, I'm still working on it. Well, I got out in the community and I realized some things had changed. And I made some more friendships and, and the world was exciting again. It was like being a teenager and discovering the world all over again and getting a job and getting a car. And I'm like, how exciting is this? I get to kind of do this again, but smarter. <laughs> and hooked up with the resources like Department of Rehab, who's helping me get back to work again. And I started back at work in 2019. And then the pandemic hits, and I'm like, well, isolation, I've got this. I've got this. I know what this is all about. But man, I don't have the medication, so this is kind of <sighs> confining. <laughs> then they're virtual stuff. But see, the whole world is in this by now. And now they're reaching out and showing me ways. And so, yeah, now I'm working virtually from home. And I'm coming to this church. And I started coming to this church because I was about to lose a second parent. Now, if they haven't been on the screen yet, I know my dad and my mom are here, pictures of them. There's my mom, Nancy. I always loved hugs. She's the one who said, go to church. We're going to have you go to church. You're going to go through confirmation. Don't forget your prayers. And her hugs, her love. Now, my dad passed. He passed in 2016. There he is. Hi. Loves Arizona. That's where he's at. That's Hank. And it's like watching a big mountain go away when he passed away. But he did it with so gracefully. And then my mother, I knew she needed me, and I talked with her a lot. And then she got sick, <sighs> diagnosed with lung cancer in uh, 2019. 
last September. And I went, oh my God, the two people that have always been there in my life always loved me, and I know I got God, but God, I just need people. I need to build my circle again, because the two most important people are about to leave my life. And I came here, and I met you all. Still gets to me <laughs> that mom is gone. She passed away July 3rd of 2020. Pandemic, in an interesting way, gave me more time to be with her and take care of her. And I don't regret it. That was the best time. She's still with me. I feel her, and I feel my dad, too. And I know they're here with me because they didn't miss any speaking engagement. I ever did. God bless them, and God bless you all. I have the most happiest life ahead of me with the most amazing people. And now I understand the people that were looking at me because I'm crying and smiling too. <laughs> and that's God's grace. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. Thank, thank you for for sharing with us and and being being so so vulnerable. Um, I, like I said, I, I knew I wanted you to share your story at some point because it is is so so powerful, and it's in these moments in community where we get to to see people who've been through difficult things and still just show us the love of God. You're somebody as a preacher, um, and Philip and I have talked about this as a worship leader too. There's certain faces that you're looking for um, and certain that you're not. No offense. No, there's some, everyone's, everyone's cool here, but you just, there's so much light around, around you, like your face and presence. Like if, if I see you in the room, it's just, it's so, so powerful and, and moving. Um, and I think it's because you've experienced some really hard things and, and walked with God through those things and with people. So I'll always remember what you said about, about seeing faces, and I'm sure you still feel the, the same way as you share your story and you get to experience love. So thank you so much. I um, have one, one passage on the screen. We're going to be singing a song in, in just a minute if the worship team uh, wants to come up. Um, one thing that's, that's fascinating about um, the story of John the Baptist is that he ends up like having those, those questions and those, those doubts, which are, are very real. And Jesus says, but among those born of a woman, no one is greater than John the Baptist. And those born of a woman, that's everybody, right? <laughs> so Jesus is saying, because you've experienced hard stuff, because you've gone through difficult things, it, it doesn't mean that, that I love John or, or you any less. And some of us are going to experience very difficult things, like our, our friend Nicole will experience difficult things in different ways. But may we, whatever it is that we are going through, look for those little graces like she talked about. Look for those moments of, of gratitude. And in these moments of difficulty, may we think about the, the love of God, which truly sustains us.